What if I told you that with a few social media posts, you could raise over $100,000 for children in need? Today, we're going to hear the story of Jasper Ivan Ituriaga, a digital missionary, who, while exploring the jungles of the Philippines, was given a God-sized vision for shaping the future. This is the Digital Missions Podcast. Yo, welcome to the Digital Missions Podcast, where our goal is to help you reach your first million people with the gospel. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and here's the thing. Social media ministry is not just blessing those of us in first world countries, but children out in the remotest parts of the world. My guest for today is known online as Pastor Jasper. Jasper is a self-taught photographer and videographer. His work has been used by institutions like National Geographic, the Philippines Airlines, 3ABN, and most importantly, for our conversation today to build jungle schools for underserved children. Jasper has spent the last few years as a digital nomad, traveling to over 50 countries on a Filipino passport. He's been to some of the wildest places in the world, including North Korea, leper colonies in China, and the Maasai Mara. Jasper has worked with some of the largest influencers in the world and has even slept on my couch for weeks or months at a time. Jasper is a dear friend, and I'm so glad to welcome him to the show. Jasper, we finally tracked you down. You've been all over the world, and now you've made time for the Digital Missions Podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Hey, thank you, man. I appreciate this. Finally, we made it work. <laughs> we finally made it work. And I wanted to jump right into this. And I wanted to know, is your family still disappointed in you for leaving pastoral ministry or they have finally made their peace that you're doing your own thing? I, I think they're okay. I think they're okay. It's, it was scary that I left my job. So oh, that's man. that. So there's context here to the story. Jasper served yeah. as a pastor and an evangelist in the Philippines, in Indonesia. Uh, and some part in this journey, Jasper decided to lay his Bible down and to pick up a camera and set. That's a little bit dramatic. But uh, long story short, he did leave pastoral ministry behind for social media ministry. And I figured this is probably a good place for us to start. Maybe we can rewind even a little bit about how you got into ministry, because there's a crazy story about you waking up in a hospital and everything changing. Can you walk us through a couple of those story beats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before I started ministry, I was really just raised in, a, I would say, legalistic kind of environment. And I was doing things because if you're Asian, you're forced to go to church or else you're labeled as a black sheep. And so you kind of please your parents to go to church and all that kind of stuff. And then I woke up in the hospital and the doctor found there's something in the left side of my brain that causes me to have severe seizures. And so woke up and then the rest is history. My father said, oh, I think God is calling you to be a pastor because he thought it will cure me. You know, I think it represents just how we view religion in the Philippines, that if you appease God, he'll bless you and all that. But then I found God there. You know, I was not trying to find God at all, but he found me in school. And so from there, I found my calling. God healed me from that, whatever you can call it, a tumor or whatever it is. And then I started ministry. I started as an evangelist for Amazing Facts first. And then I was a pastor in Indonesia, Jakarta International Seventh-day Adventist Church. And then I started my ministry there for about five years. Five years on the ground doing ministry, doing air quotes, real ministry. Then all of a sudden you do this radical shift where you're going to be what's called a digital nomad, which is really just a fancy term for being homeless. How yes, did you decide yes. to go from pastoral ministry to a professional homeless person with a camera? 
Yeah, so I started, uh, I really had this passion to do missions and like not not just mission missions. I love remote missions, like the remotest parts of the world. And so I went to the jungles of Papua and they have the original jungle schools there. One week walk and, and everything had to be airlifted. And so people built schools there with Adventist Aviation. I was like, man, this is amazing. It started to make videos. I didn't know what I was doing, but... I knew deep inside my heart, this is what I wanted to do. When I was 11 years old, I, I picked up a camera and, and I started just falling in love making films. But then I got a little distracted because I played a lot of video games and all that stuff as a teenager and I kind of lost it. So when I held my first camera, when I was, I remember when I was 21 or 22, I was in Indonesia, I was a pastor and I felt all these nostalgic feeling of being a filmmaker when I was a kid. And I'm like, man, maybe I could use some of these things to further the cost. And so I went to this beautiful island called El Nido in the Philippines, and it was not as famous then. And I had a little drone then. And so I had a mission trip out in Philippine Adventist Medical Aviation Services. This is the first time I, I met pilot Daniel. Well, I'm going to talk later on. Um, this was about eight years ago. And then I started to make videos. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just flying the drone. That's the only thing I knew this time. So I'm a little bit of technology about the camera, but then I also knew a little bit of the drone. And so I flew the drone in this island and I published it and it got like 1.5 million views on Facebook. And I said, man, this is, this is nice. And so from then, I decided to leave ministry. I have a friend, his name is Clive Kute during this time. And this is the guy I used to just ask questions because he knows a lot of things about media. That's what his course was. And so he told me, hey, we're going to Europe. We're filming all these Reformation sites in Europe. You want to come? And so I resigned as a pastor. It was not easy, I just, but I, you know what? I'm just going to full send. And then I went to Europe for four months. We don't have any budget, so... I remember preaching just for rice. You know, I told people, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm a preacher. You know, I can preach for the weekend. Like, can you take care of me for a few weeks? So I lived in Europe for four months without any money and finished a whole season of lineage journey. <laughs> now, I, I want to explore this a little bit because people hear that it was a leap of faith. You had, you know, these millions of views and all of a sudden you're in Europe. And I think on one telling of the story, it sounds really cush. Like, oh, you got, you got to go to Europe, all expenses paid kind of a thing. But when you poke into the details just a little bit, it, it really starts to paint a picture of really how much of a faith journey this was. Can you talk to me about what it was like getting off the airplane, very first time going into Europe, and talk to us specifically about the financial circumstance, because it's kind of a wild story. How much money did you have in your bank account at the time, and what was it like getting off that plane? Oh, yeah. So first of all, I didn't even have a bank account. <laughs> I was so poor that the Filipino government won't give me a bank account. <laughs> no, this guy's a liability. <laughs> yeah, they were like, because we have laws here and all that kind of stuff. You at least need a job to show receipts and all that. I don't have any, I'm a missionary. You know, I didn't have receipts. And so it was not easy. Of course, they bought my ticket, but I, didn't, I haven't met these people. Clyde Coutte in Facebook looks like a criminal. And so, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking. So, the point is, I've never met these people. You don't know if they're scam or whatever, but we grew this relationship online. And so I went into Paris. I've never, dude, I'm so Filipino, I haven't seen snow in my life. Yeah? So, um, I went there and I packed in December board shorts. That's how poor I was. And so I packed board shorts in winter in Paris. And the Filipino family who watches my, my sermons on YouTube, 
picked me up and gave me winter clothes. I was literally that homeless. And and so I stayed there in France. I, I was in eight countries during this time, just traveling without any budget. You know, and, and every single Sabbath, I would just come up to people and just, I went to churches and preach, and then they'll feed me. So I finished this whole season. It was a fate journey. We've been pitching this project for Lenny's journey, and people were like, no, no, and all that. And so we had to do it on our own without any salary, no insurance. It was just a recipe for disaster, yet it worked. It worked. It was a miracle. Did you find that there was a correlation between how good your sermon was and what kind of food they would feed you afterwards? <laughs> Definitely. But if you go, and this is a good tip, if you go on each country and you find a Filipino family, if you Filipino church, you tell them you're 70 Adventists, they'll, they'll take care of you. You know, it, it, it's such a great pass. And so whatever your sermon is, if you're Filipino or if you're Adventist, they'll cook for you. Really good food. There's so many details. There's so many things we dropped in the bio that you've been to places like North Korea and China. And like, I, I, I hesitate to glance over all these stories because every single one of them is pregnant with like just faith. And there's these really cool moments of impact, but we were, we're leading somewhere. So I guess I want to throw it to you and help you ask you to help me navigate. How do we eventually get to what you're doing now? What are the important steps along the way for you? Obviously it's leaving ministry, starting social media, stepping out in faith, flying out of the country, maybe for the first time, $0 in your non-existent bank accounts. What was the next step for you? You had a whole C season of going by faith and then what was going on next in your journey for you? This is so cliche and I'm sure Christian moms would all use the verse. In, in the book of Luke, there's this amazing practical advice from Jesus. He said, look, if you're faithful to that which is least, you'll be faithful to that which is much. If you're unjust in the least, you'll be unjust in much. I took that by heart and I interpreted it as Faithfulness would equals to opportunities. Opportunities will only come if you're faithful to whatever God has given you today. So we have this sort of a problem as filmmakers and media people that we're always waiting for the next big gear. We're always like, oh, if I have that, then I can produce this. It's always the future. Oh, if I have a faster computer, the M2 chip is coming out. Oh, this new 4K camera is coming out. We're always thinking about what's next. But the real test that God has given us is always what are you faithful to whatever God has given you? Literally, when I was starting, I'm so jealous of all these kids from America who come in the Philippines as missionaries and they have 5D Mark III's on their hand and they're 14 years old. And I'm like, what? They're all these kids from Weimar, they'll come to the Philippines. Then they have 5D Mark III's on their hand and they're 14, 13. Then I'm like, isn't that unfair? <laughs> but I could sit here, complain about things that I don't have, or I could be faithful with what I have. I literally, Justin, I started with my cell phone. I started with my phone. During this time, my old iPhone. And then I would just Google YouTube. How can I maximize my phone's capabilities to make films, to take pictures? And then I really believe this was the recipe. And so when God saw that I was faithful, look, when God sees that you're faithful to whatever He's, he's given you now, He will increase it. Remember the story of David and Goliath. David fought Goliath and then David like defeated Goliath and, and he's this faithful, strong 
uh, servant of God and warrior. And But if you look at the whole conversation before David and Goliath's battle, there's this conversation between Saul and David. And, and, and Saul was like, hey, are you able to defeat this guy? And, and, and there's a sick answer from David. He said, look, I'm able to fight the sheep, the wolves and the bears and all these creatures that attacks my sheep. Every single day, I'll fight them. I'll guard my sheep. I would win every time and be faithful with it. And, 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 I, and I would say this, I really believe that what qualified David to fight Goliath was his faithfulness in his backyard. And if he was not faithful in guarding his sheep in his backyard, I really believe that God will never give him an opportunity to fight Goliath. And I think our opportunity only comes when we're faithful to whatever God has given us right now. And so I really believe this theory, but in my life, gears and, and mentors increases if I was faithful with what God has given me during that time. I, I really love this approach to digital missions because there's so many different ways that we can attempt to measure success. Did we get a million followers? Did our videos go viral? And, and I love the way that you distill it down. It's really simple, being faithful to what God has called you to do. In those early seasons, if you were to kind of spell it out, other than just using the word faithfulness, what did faithfulness look like? Because I look at your social media profiles now, it's not like you are posting every single day. So what did faithfulness mean to you within your context? Yeah, for my context, whatever I have, I use it. I didn't know what I was doing, Justin, but I would tell my, I was a church member, pastor during this time. I was like, hey, why don't we make Sabbath school lesson video? During this time, like the events, I would come up and make event video and I'll just use my phone. And slowly people were like, wow, okay, I think you need a better camera. And so slowly people, people will give something up, you know? And so my faithfulness is really just showing up to what during that time, felt like God is calling me to do. And when I was a pastor, I would take leaves. And my leaves, instead of just taking a vacation, I go to a mission trip. And there I would practice every single thing. And I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> but God said, just show up, be faithful with it. And through trial and error, you'll do more. And, and I'll, in just one and a half years of doing photography, I was given an opportunity by God's grace to be featured in National Geographic six times. And this was one and a half years of just doing photography. And again, how does that look like? Faithfulness is just showing up, showing up. You know, every single sunrise, you come up and say, I need to practice golden hour. Sunset, I'll be there. <laughs> practice golden hour. You know, and, that, and that, that's just how it looks like in my life. So what were the biggest obstacles to that level of faithfulness? So you're, you're talking about showing up, doing the, the golden hour, blue hour. For those who don't understand, those are photography terms for taking photos at sunrise and sunset, which is a lot of discipline. So it, it, were nap times the biggest enemy to your faithfulness? What were some of the biggest challenges for actually saying yes to being faithful every single day? So I'll, I'll go chronological. I was a pastor then when I started my photography. I think my biggest obstacle is just church mindset that I shouldn't be holding a camera, but I should be in a pulpit. Literally, a church member came up to me and said, you shouldn't be holding a camera. Uh, okay, just a little context. Hope Channel and like some of the media ministry that we do now does not exist during this time. The only reference point of what media ministry looked like is Sabbath School video from Hope Channel. <laughs> or Trabian or Amazing Facts. There's no one who's doing media ministry during this time yet that's doing solo. It's all corporate church context. And I'm not dissing, it's, I think this is really important that we have all these organization thing. But during this time, I really don't have any reference point of what media ministry looked like. I think Justin was doing vlog uh, during this time, but 
but I have no clue what it is. And so when there's no, not much organizational stuff happening at church, people will not really recognize you because the world church is not doing it. And so people would look at me and said, oh, you should stick preaching. And so the biggest obstacle for me was just church membership or this culture during that time that I shouldn't be holding a camera. I should be focusing on ministry. Yeah. I mean, I resonate a lot with that. That was definitely my experience early on. No one actually told me that you shouldn't hold a camera. They, they probably were thinking that, but you know, every time I was trying to st take a step forward when it came to online ministry, I would kind of just get like the, the passive smile and nod. People would pat me on the back more or less and be like, good for you. We're glad that someone's doing it. But I, I think if you were to read between the lines, it's just a lot of question marks. Why is this kid doing this thing? Why does it actually matter? And faithfulness for me was like you in stepping out, leaving the security of my full-time job and actually saying yes to what I felt like God was calling me to do. Um, th this is this is probably around the time when you and I actually ended up connecting. Is that right? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. It took it took maybe a little bit. I've seen you on YouTube, but I haven't messaged you because I thought your work doesn't look good. I was like, I don't want that to be mentor. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. No, but that's true. That's fair. I remember <laughs> one of our first calls getting online together. I'm like, how do I do this better? Because I was not a filmmaker. I was doing it like you in the sense of looking to YouTube, but it wasn't easy for me. So I remember connecting with you. And I remember seeing, I think it was one of your jungle vlogs that you sent over. It was a, a story of these kids in Papua New Guinea. And I'm just amazed at what the story does to my heart and how it makes me feel. Because I'm seeing these children crossing over rivers, over shoddy bridges, climbing up mountains, and they're doing all this to get an education. And all things being equal, not something that I really valued when I was growing up. And so it really challenged me and it made me feel all sort of ways. How did you find out about the school and why make a video about them? Again, I like missions and I love remote missions. I think part of it because growing up, I hate reading. Justin, I hate reading. I'm not a reader. And this is why I struggle also in my Christian life because people think that the only way to do devotions is to read your Bible. Quote, read and read your Bible. I can't read. I hate reading. And so growing up, I'm always in the library. And not because I'm reading, I'm just watching National Geographic pictures. And so when I was in the jungles of uh, Indonesia, I, I flew and I'm just very curious. So I went there, saw these kids. I was like, hey, maybe make a story out of it. And that was the first jungle school video. <laughs> that was the first one. That was like eight years ago. I remember. I remember. If we compare the video from eight years ago to where to our videos today, how do you feel about that yeah. video? Yuck. <laughs> it, it looks like maybe Justin filmed that one instead of you, huh? <laughs> yeah, but 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 you look back and say, man, at least you started, you know? Even though I didn't know what I was doing, man. Again, the whole concept of Lord, I don't know what I was doing or what I'm doing, but you said. If I'm faithful to whatever you've given me, this is my faithfulness. And faithfulness might look like a shaky camera film, but that's faithfulness. Out of focus shots, but that's faithfulness. And so if you're faithful to whatever it is, I really believe. There's a whole bunch of traveling that happens between uh, your first jungle school experience and ultimately where this story is leading. Uh, but as, as I have watched you and interacted with you, there've been a couple seasons in your ministry. And so there's obviously the whole on the islands and you're in Jakarta doing pastoral ministry. There's definitely this added storyline of what you're doing in Europe with lineage journey. And then from my perspective, there's also what's happening in the United States. What was going on in the United States for you? And, and do you have any insight as to why that was meaningful for you and an important step in your journey from God's perspective? 
All right, cool. Before the pandemic, I was traveling around. I've been to like two to three countries, going around different places, doing films. And part of it is the United States. A little backstory about this is I fell in love with this beautiful girl from California. Beautiful girl. Yeah. And then... <laughs> so, so faithfulness wasn't really on your mind. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting married, son. <laughs> and anyways, so I fell in love with this girl from California. And then I decided to like surprise her, Justin. It's her birthday in April. And I was like, I'm going to surprise her. So I bought a ticket going to the U.S. And then I flew. As soon as I landed in the U.S., this is San Francisco. And I was very confident because it was a bunch of people that looks like me interviewing me. You know, so I was like, oh, they're probably not racist towards me. And so they stopped me and they said, hey, why are you here? You know, all that stuff. Well, what are you going to do? And I explained all that stuff. And then they end up asking me why can I afford traveling in 50 countries in the past three years and you don't have a job, you look, and I was, yeah, I told them I was a pastor and I had a very long hair and they don't, they, they look, I was, you know, very, very skeptical. Why do you go to all these Muslim countries? To make the long story short, they held me for like 24 hours. I was passed on 15, 10 different immigration officers. I was interviewed, all that. And then they decided, you know what, we're going to send me back home for the first time. And so they sent me back home from America, point to point, from America to the Philippines. I struggled with a lot of, of depression, anxiety, because I couldn't travel, you know, and plus COVID. And the only place that was open right, uh, right at this time was America. And so I was like, man, you know, it, it really broke my heart. That relationship didn't work. And yeah, it was, it was the rest of the was a heartbreaking experience. I'm wondering if you could share with us a little bit about what your thought process was like as you're leaving the United States, you're being sent back home, this dream and vision for your future starts to crumble a little bit. What is the thought process as you're struggling through that moment? What do you Oh, it through? was it was painful, dude. It was such a painful experience just to be number one, the reason why I'm not a canvasser is because I hate rejection. <laughs> I hated this part where I was rejected to go in. Plus, I was rejected because I don't look rich and I don't look like I can't afford to live in America. That's number two. And number three, I asked God a lot of questions. Why would he even waste money <laughs> to go and bring me there to go through just a heartbreaking experience? A lot of questions, to be honest. I did question God's plan during this time, but I just want to make it clear. I never questioned his goodness. I still really believe that he was good. He loves me. I just question why I need to go through all this. For three months, I did struggle with anxiety. I couldn't sleep at night. Like, like really assessing my worth. Like, uh, can I still proceed? And to be honest, Justin, really considered going back to pastoral ministry because literally, I was afraid of going to the airports. I kid you not. I Every time I go to the airports, I get sweaty. And I remember all these immigration people <laughs> interviewing me that made me look like a criminal. I was put on a room filled with people who speak Spanish with handcuffs. <laughs> I, I was really, really like, why am I here? Am I a criminal? You know, and so struggle, I was struggling with my mental health and my self-worth during this time and then really considered, I, I should just go back being a pastor anyways. 
So if I hear you correctly, God's placed a vision on your heart to do this digital ministry thing. And now seemingly all the doors are literally being closed in, in the only way that you could do digital ministry. The doors are being closed. And so now you're actually moving away in, in your mind, at least theoretically, you're moving away from faithfulness for one of the first times in a significant way. And it's interesting to me that the way that you're moving away from faithfulness is to go back to pastoral ministry. That's just that's such an interesting paradox there. Yeah, and, and I think I'm just trying to find a little bit of a safety. Because again, it's not only what happened to America, but also the Asian culture that's pressuring you. You know why? You know why you're single? Because you don't have a job. Get a job. Go nest first, and then a lady will come and you get a family and all that kind of stuff. So all these pressure from Asian communities, you need to be ordained as a pastor, all these things. So all your pressures from the co your colleagues. So it's not just what happened in America, but the pressure of, and again, this was your pressure too when you're starting YouTube, right? It's like, oh, you don't have a proper job. You know, you need to find a proper job. And so I was defaulting on ministry that is more stable than what I'm doing as ministry that is really unstable. We'll pick up Jasper's story of raising over $100,000 to build jungle schools in next week's episode. But for today, I would invite you to consider what Jasper had to wrestle through on that long flight back home to the Philippines. What is standing in the way of you being faithful to the call of God on your life? Are there external pressures or fears that you feel? And if so, what do you do with that? Do you allow them to keep you stuck in between decisions or do you take them before God and allow Him to give you the courage to press on. For what it's worth, I remember back to when I was first confronted in such a direct manner about this decision for me. Would I press forward in faith or would I take the safe route? I remember listening to a podcast of an entrepreneur talking about his father and how his father had worked for companies for decades and decades and decades and he was at the end of his career ready to retire. About a year before his father was retiring, the company that he had worked for for many, many years ended up going belly up and his entire retirement was lost. And the lesson that I learned from this story was that even the safe route is not safe if it's not the route that God wants you on. And from hearing that story, I was really challenged and I made the decision that I would take the route that God was leading me on. That even if it felt unsafe to those around me, that the safest place that I could be is in the center of his will. If you're in a similar decision right now where you're realizing that there's a call to faithfulness, there's a call to go all in on digital missions, but you don't know where to start, just take a note from Jasper's story. Be faithful with what you have. Use the gear that you have, use the skills that you have, and start Googling, YouTubing tutorials, or if you'd prefer, take our free online class that will actually teach you how to become a digital missionary. The course is available for free. It's multiple hours worth of training by yours truly, and it is everything that I wish that I had when I first started as a digital missionary. What's the cost for this class? The good news is this class is sponsored by the Adventist Learning Community, and so therefore, it's made available for free to listeners of this podcast. All you have to do in order to redeem this offer is send me an email. My email is hello at justinkoo.com. That's hello at J-U-S-T-I-N-K-H-O-E.com. Send me an email, and I'll send you access to the course for free.